Welcome to Jazz Talk Northwest. This is the April episode. Uh, my name is Josh. And this is Max. And for this month's episode, we've got a very special guest with us here on the air. His name is John Lozano, and he is a Seattle-based Lindy Hop and Blues dance instructor. Hey, thanks for having me. Although I have to correct you there. I'm no longer a dance instructor. I decided to start selling horses. Heard it was a source of stable income. <laughs> wow. Uh, he also welcome, John. <laughs> welcome, John. <laughs> All right. So today we are going to talk about a couple different albums, but we also thought it would be really cool with John here to hear his opinions on on these albums as a non-specialist musician. Because Josh and I are both, you know, jazz musicians, mm-hmm. at least semi-professionally. And uh, we thought it would be pretty interesting to hear how other people kind of can take in this music. So, Especially somebody from the dance scene, too, that really of course, yeah. I mean, connects with an the music artist. in a deep way, but yeah. uh, not from the musician's perspective. Just might have a different point of view. Mm-hmm. So the first one we're going to start with is called Free Spirits, and it's by Mary Lou Williams. Now, I first encountered Mary Lou Williams in high school. Not personally. She was deceased at that point, of course, but... Uh, I was in this festival called the Essentially Ellington Festival in New York with my high school, and they were featuring her as a composer arranger uh, alongside Duke Ellington. So she arranged music and stuff for the Ellington band, as well as a bunch of other pretty famous big bands back in the day, in addition to doing her own music. Yeah, Uh, in my research uh, for who she is for this episode... I was reading up on her. She wrote and arranged for Duke, like you said, mm-hmm. uh, for Benny Goodman, too. Yep, Benny Goodman. And uh, she was a friend, mentor, and teacher to Monk and yep. Bird and Miles Davis and pianist Bud Powell and trumpeter Dizzy Gillespie. A lot of a big stellar cast that she's associated with. And uh, I guess she got uh, she was on an album that was nominated for a Grammy in 1971 for Best Jazz Performance, too, with uh, Dizzy Gillespie and Bobby Hackett. Oh, cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I hadn't really checked her out. It's it's kind of strange that she kind of slipped under the radar when she was playing and hanging with these incredibly famous musicians for such a long time. But I'm pretty happy I checked this out. It kind of led me to a couple other albums as well. Cool. And uh, they all have really unique personalities, but this one was kind of cool. And uh, I think the decade in, in which it was recorded also played a part in kind of the certain feel they kind of go with on a lot of the songs. Yeah, definitely. And just so for us, so our listeners know this record came out in 1975, 76. It was recorded in 1975. Ah, but released in 76. Okay. On steeplechase. Uh, mm -hmm. And Mary Lou Williams is the pianist, uh, Buster Williams on bass and Mickey Roker on drums. And for those who don't know, steeplechase is still actually a, a record label based in Denmark. And a lot of incredibly famous musicians, a lot of expats as well, hmm. have recorded on that. Anyone from Dexter Gordon to Chet Baker to a lot of other musicians people have probably heard of in the jazz world. Um, Even but yeah. in the dance world. Oh, yeah? There we go. <laughs> yeah. So what did you think about this album, John? Well, it's interesting that you said uh, uh, that she was under the radar for so long, because in listening to this album, I thought, man, she's like a 747. I she just I just felt so transported by her music. <laughs> Thanks for that, John. <laughs> it was pretty powerful. Yeah, yeah, that was a that was a nice little joke there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
um, what did you think of the what <laughs> did you think of the music though? Well, I actually I I, I liked it a lot. Uh, uh, despite this facade of a, a dancer and dance instructor, I uh, I also listened to a, a good deal of jazz. I just probably don't listen to it as uh, at the same sort of gut level as I do when I dance. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can ask before you even go into it. Mm-hmm. What what jazz do you normally listen to? Oh, I love big band. I love big band stuff. Uh, okay, actually, stuff like Mary Lou Williams. Uh, as I was listening to it, I'm like, this is you know, if it was just a little more swingy, it would be totally my jam. Would you say it's it's more instrumental or vocal based jazz usually that I listen to? Yeah, um, uh, I go back and forth. I mean, okay. it's certainly hard not to find uh, vocal. Uh, jazz in the dance world simply because it's so right. accessible right and i feel like a yeah. lot of our djs uh and, and bands as well will just sort of default to to carrying the vocals makes sense um but i certainly love 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 dancing to uh, musical just pure instrumental music i mean and you mentioned it being more swingy i think that's one of the things i was kind of thinking of being Recorded in the 70s uh, with that kind of rock influence that mm-hmm, had kind mm-hmm. of been going around. There are a lot of tracks on this album that kind of feature more of a, not quite rock, but rock-influenced feel. Yeah, rock, rather, f- yeah. funky bass line kind of stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah definitely. And it was int- Those were, I think, almost every one that had that kind of feel were her compositions, too. Yeah. The other ones were mm-hmm. uh, the Standards or the Miles Davis thing, like um, All Blues and... Yeah, there were some swinging ones on this too, of course. Mm-hmm. I really liked Baby Man number two. I guess that means take two. Yeah. Did you like the <laughs> did you like that one more than take one? Uh I mean probably a little bit. Yeah. Cool. What did you like more? I don't really know if I can quantify it. Fair. It might be as simple as it appears first on the album. Yeah. I don't know. It was the mm-hmm. first one I heard. Therefore it was the first template in my head for that song I yeah know. yeah both I, good. I kind of felt the same like I, I i don't know that i can put words to it right now but the it jumped out more and it could have just been like they were a little more passionate in their intro or something that just gripped me and pulled me through the rest um that could be as simple as them making a stop at the coffee shop before recording that take <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was uh it's an interesting tune uh it's is that a I forget who wrote it, John Stubbleworth or something like that. John Stubblefield. Stubblefield. Thank you. Yeah, I thought it, um, especially during the intro with the piano and bass and what, before the drums come in, and it sounded really, uh, I guess, pentatonic and mm-hmm. open. And well, there, Yeah, there are a lot of sections on this that are kind of open vamps almost, uh-huh. just over a chord or something. Which is also kind of interesting for a jazz trio record. Yeah, like in opposition to uh, the Phineas Newborn record that we talked about in February, yeah. where it was a lot of very uh, straight down the line standards and, and blues numbers. Yeah, it's really interesting. Like the big band arrangements of hers that I actually played are incredibly old school swinging. Huh. Awesome. Actually, no, I guess they're actually pretty modern now that I actually think about it. We played one called New Musical Express, which uh, which actually had a lot of pretty modern things in it, like Speeding Up, mm-hmm. um, also known as Acela Rondos. 
Um, Ooh, you went to music school. Oops. <laughs> well, see, this is why we have John here. John, you need to stop me if I start saying weird things. All I need to say is, is what's that mean? <laughs> there you go. It means speeding up. That's why I said it first. All right. But yeah, open tenor solo at the end. It featured some pretty cool things. It's supposed to be about a train, I think. Mm, cool. So yeah, I really liked her uh, piano sound in general. I felt like she had a really light touch, uh, good tone. Nothing. I, she played fast in some parts, but nothing felt rushed or or mm. overly uh, energetic. Is not really the right word because she did have energy, but it's not like it punches you in the face with her energy. Mm. She's just she knows what she wants to say she's comfortable with it and i really like that about her playing yeah i mean it's a very comfortable personality on uh, on the instrument and as a trio i think Mm -hmm. it's pretty cool yeah i uh, remember uh from what is it blues for time timmy i don't know how to pronounce that (laughs) uh i just remember thinking at some point that uh uh, she she was doing something in it that was just reminding me of uh, Oscar Peterson and what he does. He's yeah, somebody, uh, somebody that I used to listen to a lot, and he's one of the uh, instrumentals that I just love dancing to. Me too, and I'm not a dancer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the personnel in this album is pretty cool too. I mean, you have Buster Williams and Mickey Roker. Those are two pretty iconic jazz musicians. That's actually why I thought it would be cool to do this record in part. Because those are also two musicians that not everybody really talks about, but they're pretty cool. They've played with pretty much everyone who has a big name in the jazz world. And what records do you like them from? I mean, Mickey Roker. I mean, they've all played with pretty much everybody from Dizzy Gillespie to I mean, uh, Ella Fitzgerald, Horace Silver. Okay, so all over the place. Yeah, yeah, like. Everybody. Well, I like uh, Buster Williams, actually. I, I remember, I forget the album title, but uh, the song where he's like, woo-ha, woo-ha. <laughs> oh, oh, no, I'm sorry. That was Buster Rhymes. <laughs> uh, thanks for that, John. Yeah, I retract that yeah. statement. Yeah, I like Buster Rhymes, too, actually. That's probably for a different episode, though. Uh, <laughs> yeah, probably for a different episode. Yeah. Cool. Uh, did you did anything about the drums in particular stand out for you, Max? Since you're the drummer. To be honest, no. Cool. No. Yeah. It was just a pretty comfortable sound all around as mm-hmm. a trio. I thought. And how did you feel about uh, the bass then? Or also the same? Pretty much the same. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Uh, I think when I when I saw who was on it, I was expecting more uh flashes of individuality right maybe yeah but it really just kind of flowed as one cohesive unit for the most part definitely showed off the mm-hmm. piano a lot yeah. more than bass and drums in similar to the Phineas Newmore record that we talked about in yeah. February where it was that one was a very much a piano showcase but this one I think had uh a little bit more bass personality um I felt like um, which tracks did you like with the bass let's see I'd have to look through my notes to figure it out uh there was oh right pale blue was really cool uh so mm-hmm. a really bluesy thing um buster williams wrote that right did he he did oh really yeah well that would make sense then uh there's a <laughs> big bass feature especially up front and there's a lot of he does a lot of uh glissy uh glissando stuff uh mm-hmm. for, what's that 
where for he, our listeners who don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, John. For uh, when he uh, slides up and down at pitch and it goes boom, that kind of stuff. Uh, it's was really cool to hear that in the bass line. And he, he does that a lot of, uh, in his solos on this record, which was pretty yeah. fun to listen to. So, um, and yeah, not many drum features. I think there was one slower tune, I think. Uh, Free Spirits, uh, where both takes started out with a drum solo, but nowhere else on the record do I remember hearing a drum solo. It was all just piano features. I think you're right, yeah. That could be also why the drums didn't really stand out to me mm-hmm. as a solo voice too much. But yeah. Well, I put together a a short list of uh, songs that I felt were the most danceable. Cool. I thought yeah, that would be love to hear about that. interesting to bring up. Uh, not in any particular order, but uh, perhaps just the order that I came to them in. Uh, Dat Dare. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought, yeah. Uh, I just felt like it, the, the intro, the, the way it sort of embodies curiosity and then it gets followed up with this sort of driving rhythm right away. It's just, I just love that version of it. Cool. Love it. Next song would be uh, Surrey with the Fringe on Top. Mm-hmm. And uh, in Dance Circles, that's a, a fairly common song to hear. Really? And I just thought... Um, it was uh, particularly like it felt very caref- carefree and playful, and again that that sort of steady bass and the rhythm, like just sort of pounding along. That's one of the key things I feel like uh, turns it into a really good dance tune. Yeah. yeah, so good strong pulse then. Yeah, the rhythm section just got to be real regular and then supportive of all the dancers' feet. Yeah, and the last song, kind of an odd one for me, but Temptation actually hmm. um and that I, I i don't claim that i would know like the the proper dance for it or or that i um could specifically say uh you know to do this or that to it but it, it has a, a a real kind of like itching to move feel it's very kind of like up tempo-y and it's just sort of exciting and i i would love to hear that uh with with a really good partner and just sort of play around and see what we could make of it yeah so I have a question. Mm-hmm. As a dance, a dancer and dance instructor, are you just constantly thinking of how you would dance to songs as you hear them? More or less. If they strike me, they, they first got to hit me as a, a dancing. They, okay. Know, that, that rhythm's got to be in there. Right, right, right. As soon as it is, and I, if I get itching in my seat, then I might want to cool. get up and move around. Yeah. I like it. So once it hits me, then I, yeah, definitely will... Uh, uh, start considering what what my body would want to do to that. I suppose that makes sense. Cool. Uh, well, that's uh, Mary Lou Williams' "Free Spirits," nineteen seventy six. So the second record that we wanted to talk about, uh, John actually picked out, and it's Ernestine Anderson swings the penthouse, recorded in nineteen sixty two, but issued in twenty fifteen. Yeah. So you picked uh, one of my new favorite favorite records, actually. I had not heard this before you decided to, to give it a go. Right on. Well, I picked it uh, uh, very specifically because, one, uh, she is somebody who consistently makes me want to dance. Mm-hmm. And, two, because she's local here. At least she, she recorded locally, as, as yeah. much as I know. And yep. she's even got some buildings uh, named after her down, yep. uh, down in the Central District, in the Central right? District, yeah. Yep. Yeah, she was born in Texas originally, but but lived here for most of her career. And I think she actually passed away just a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, over in West Seattle. But I yeah, she was up in Shoreline. Really? 
Oh, I don't know now. Oh, I I don't know either. Who knows? But anyway, yeah, she was a Seattle staple for a long time. My mom would tell me about how she would go see her at Jazz Alley like every every week or every month or something. Oh wow, that's for a awesome. long time. Yeah. Very did she cool. have a regular standing? I think she did. Yeah. That's cool. And I think that was when Jazz Alley was actually. Well, I guess it is still in an alley. I think it was in the U District or something back then. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before it moved downtown. Mm-hmm. News to me. Yeah. I've only been here nine years. What do I know? <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of people around town who used to play with her who still play around all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. They all have a lot of stories about the band and such. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is a great record. Uh was recorded live, which was really fun. You can hear the audience and you can hear things like chairs creaking or is somebody dropping silverware or a coin yeah. or something at one point. <laughs> Bass drum pedal creaking. Uh-huh. Or maybe it's the maybe it's the sustained pedal pedal on the piano. Oh, maybe. I couldn't quite tell which pedal it was. Some pedal was, was squeaking. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah, one of the seats, and, and it kept happening too. Yeah, yeah. No, in the quiet parts, it's like, oh yeah, there's there's that squeaky thing. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in general impressions of the record overall? Well, um, in, in, in my collection, it, it ranks uh, towards the top as uh, a danceable CD. I, I think it's uh, got more tracks that I would dance to than tracks that I wouldn't. Um, uh, again, I put together a list. I also have you know, uh, a few more notes for this one than I did the last uh, album. Cool. Uh, the danceable songs that I thought were just amazing were... Uh, Again, in no particular order, just in time. Mm-hmm. Fabulous, fabulous, and of course, um, it's a story about love and and who who doesn't want to go out and dance that out? You know, it's it's got that rhythm that's just constantly in there. Uh, and I also have a special thing that probably hooked me into the song a little bit more, which was uh, back when I lived in Cleveland about ten years ago, maybe a little more, bit more. Uh, I actually taught uh, a couple who were getting married some choreography to this. Oh, wow. Whoa, cool. The, the quintessential couple where the, the, the woman was, uh, had danced before she'd been dancing for a few years, maybe. And the guy hadn't had a lick of it in him. And <laughs> so the choreo is very fun. Cause we just, uh, uh, gave her all the good moves. And then he sort of, uh, played the part of the clown, which was just amazing. <laughs> and it worked really well for them. <laughs> That's awesome. That's cool. So you have a lot of history with this album then. Uh, it, it it was a different version that it, that we did ah, that too, but it, it's, that song still it still pulls me back into cool. that. That's yeah. This didn't really come out until 2015. Oh, that's right. <laughs> so, um, you make me feel so young. Oh man, what that does to me. So laid back. Her, her singing. Oh, the way she sort of warbles in her her singing there, just so wonderful. And of course, if you know me, you know they say. Uh, when she she sings, uh, there'll be bells to be rung, mm-hmm. and what do they do? They ring a bell. <laughs> yep. If that is uh, the quintessential thing <laughs> that uh, I would do in a in a dance, if I could, I would pull out a bell right there and hit it every time. <laughs> do you keep bells in your pockets, John? <laughs> I've considered it. <laughs> Don't ask me that question. <laughs> I do have bells with me, like in your pockets. Uh, in a pocket, yeah. Oh. Well, anyway, um, <laughs> and of course, it could happen. To, uh, it could. It happened to be you. What is it? It, it, it could, could happen to you. It could happen to you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a, such a, a lively song. It just like mm-hmm. 
even just thinking about it now, I'm going to start scooting in my chair a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, this whole album is so incredibly swinging. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. There are just times that it, it just hits you like a Ray Brown, Oscar Peterson record or something. It's yeah. Just like, oh, right just on. And it's interesting you mentioned it. Oscar Peterson again, too, because the pianist, how, uh, let's see, I guess we never ended up mentioning the entire um, oh, yeah. personnel list. So Ernestine Anderson singing, Dick Palombi on piano, Chuck Metcalf on bass, and Bill Richardson on drums. And yeah, the piano just sounded like, it really reminded me of how Oscar Peterson accompanies um Ella Fitzgerald and Louis Armstrong on the Ella and Louis records. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, just a lot of uh, pretty busy back there, but also in a really supportive way at the same time, right. is able to play all these really tasty bluesy licks underneath and just accent. Uh, and whenever there's space, he'll take it. And it, it's really cool. Yeah. They definitely seem more actively into it than that right. other album. Mm-hmm. For yeah. sure. Yeah, I wish we had uh, been able to check out the Penthouse Club when it was a thing. <clears throat> there are a lot of records that were apparently recorded there by this guy, Jim Wilkie, who some of you may have heard of from our local NPR jazz radio station, 88.5. KNKX. Love it. He uh, was a DJ on that station. Actually still is on Sundays. I think he has Jazz Northwest or something on Sundays. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he used to do a lot more there a regular dj but he still does recordings i mean he just recorded an album for me actually but he uh has a trove of recordings from the penthouse club which was a club that used to be downtown i forget where exactly it might have been on second avenue or something Uh -uh. it's on first first and james Uh, right across the street from my office just north of the 7-eleven i walked right by it this morning and it is now the the club was around for uh, seven years be- or seven or eight years before they demolished it and turned it into mm. a giant parking lot. Oh, good. Yes. What a good use of uh, development. <laughs> the uh, John Coltrane live in Seattle record was recorded there too. Was it really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I thought that was at Jazz Alley. Nope. Pretty sure it was the penthouse. Oh, wow. Cool. Might have to fight that, that one out. <laughs> you both look pretty certain. I heard there's a, uh, I've heard the the second half of that is floating around somewhere, but has not been released. No way. Oh yeah. Wow. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's another record. It's it's a West Montgomery. Oh, actually, I think it's Winton Kelly technically, but mm. West Montgomery's on it. Yeah. And uh, Jim Loki released that one a year or two ago, and and that's just an amazing album as well. He was telling me how he recorded it. Huh. And I'm assuming he used the same method with this. I could be wrong. But what he was saying was, back then he ran a phone line from the penthouse club to the recording equipment at uh, this radio station he was at at the time. I don't know if that was the same one we mentioned earlier or not. But for those of you who don't know anything about phone lines, the equalization is kind of like a mountain. So the mid-range frequencies are, are present, but the highs and the lows are basically non-existent. And that kind of just makes it easy to transfer voice, but that's about it. Mm-hmm. So what he had to do was, this is back in the day, of course, he had to figure out a way to equalize the sound coming over this phone line from, I think he, he said, five or six mics total hmm. for the whole band. Um, and maybe it was four. It was some low number of microphones for an entire recording session. And he would mix it and then send it through a phone line and then somehow equalize it to be even 
at the station and then press the record button. And then somehow this just turned out magically like well enough to be a record for most of the concerts that were recorded there. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. And if you consider nowadays, I mean, for those of you who don't, who don't know anything about recording studios now, you have practically unlimited uh, tracks and microphones and editing options and crazy computer magic tricks you can do. And yeah, we even have three microphones in, in our recording exactly, podcast yeah. right now. So basically Jim Wilkie is a magician and accomplished lots of magic with these recording sessions at the penthouse. Yeah. Yeah. That's really <laughs> awesome. And it's cool to, yeah, listen to a record that has that much Seattle history yeah. and to know that he's still making records today. Mm-hmm. So uh, another thing I wanted to bring up about this record in particular, I really thought the arrangements were pretty interesting. Uh, they're fairly straight down the line, not a lot of solos, an occasional piano solo, and Ernestine, she doesn't scat, doesn't, uh, uh, yeah, doesn't doesn't really just go nuts like a lot of singers do. But she sings the melody with the the original words uh, like once or twice through, and but plays with a melody and just has a lot of inflections. And I think it's really cool how much she's able to say with just that as a device. Yep, a lot of other uh, singers around town have taken after that tradition, actually, even today. Hmm. Straight from Ernest School of Ernestine Anderson, then? Uh, you could argue that. Cool. They, um, it's also cool that these are just a lot of standards. Yeah. Standard jazz tunes that get called on on impromptu gigs, and but she just kind of brings them to life on this record. And that's probably what makes so much of it so danceable to, to me, in my mm-hmm. mind. It's that uh, it's not really it's not really complicated. It's uh, very straightforward with it, with presentation. It's um, it just uh, it it pushes it along. And and our dancers aren't always trained to be able to listen to uh, all of the soloing. Like if 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 they get a song that you know, especially when there's live music and you get everybody getting their solo on. Um, a lot of our dancers just, uh, they don't have the repertoire and the training to, uh, sustain their dance through the whole thing. So they either get bored or they check out or whatever. So this is, uh, why I think a lot of this is so danceable in my book. Well, and yeah, and maybe originally back in the day when it, with big band dance music, the idea behind a solo is that you're trying to basically play a melody that is as beautiful slash danceable as the actual melody of the song you're playing. And that has definitely gotten lost for the most part in today's <laughs> jazz. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's that that spirit is alive on this record. I think for sure. Now you mentioned uh, Josh that um, uh, that that she's using the the same lyrics and, and mm-hmm. such. And I actually caught on to uh, uh, a, a bit on um, "Got the World on a String." Yep. And there was a, it, it, she caught my attention uh, because the lyrics go, uh, got the world on a string, sitting on a rainbow, got the string around my finger. Mm-hmm. And that's such a sort of discordant, it's not even a rhyme. So many songs just have that rhyme built into it. Uh-huh. And so it, it caught my attention. Like she sang it in, in a way that was uh, rhyming rainbow with finger almost. Huh. And taking it out, the, that hard R at the end. Interesting. It interested me huh. so much that I actually went on to YouTube after 
and listened to probably three or four other versions of it. Yeah. Frank Sinatra, Peggy Lee, uh, Ella Fitzgerald, and uh, Sarah Vaughn were all the versions. At first, I listened to um, Frank Sinatra and Peggy Lee. Mm -hmm. They had the hard R sound in there. And I just thought, my God, this is a, it's such a, I don't know, discordant rhyme in my head that like it's Mm. hard to uh, come to grips with. And then uh, I listened to Sarah Vaughn and I thought, she's nailed it. She's really got that (laughs) rainbow finger like Mm. sound. And then I thought, boy, is this just like, is this just how the whites are singing it? Like it is a, I thought that, I'm sorry. Uh, But then I listened to Ella Fitzgerald and and no, she hit the finger, the hard R sound. And I thought, man, maybe it's just a, some people are trained more with the enunciation that that others aren't or maybe they just sing more casually or something and i thought i don't know maybe do you guys have any uh maybe well you sing some so Mm -hmm. uh what what do you what do you think when you hear stuff like that do you do you try to smooth together these rough edges uh when when you're singing it or how does that work uh, sometimes yes, uh, other times no. For this one, I never really paid it t- all that close attention to it. Although mm. I guess I don't really sing this song, um, but it's uh, especially with uh, harmonized singing. Uh, Andy, the guitarist that I sing with quite mm. often, we in rehearsal will argue to death over what vowels to use for different <laughs> words. Uh, but it's more important for the two of us to match our vowels with each other than to necessarily go for a specific rhyme or a specific okay. sound. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. That's, that's really interesting. Definitely uh, piqued my interest when I heard it. Hmm. That's interesting. That could be one of those just little hooks in a song that define it for you. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things that you'll listen for and remember the song for as well. Yeah. That's cool. I'd love to throw down a, a special award to what I think is the best sultry groove song on the album go for it honeysuckle rose mm-hmm. i agree with you never <laughs> never heard a version that is just so it's so amazing so sultry it's just so slick yeah usually it's really high tempo and just just like beating it out there and this is just oh it's in the pocket she really <laughs> made this song her own in a way that a lot of people don't yeah especially with how she changed the melody up nearly completely too yeah a lot of people try. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really like that version as well. And I hear a lot of people sing that tune. Yeah, yeah. Especially these days with the, uh, or at least the last, I don't know, 10 so years in the dance world when the, uh, maybe it's more than that, where the, the trad jazz is really coming back strong. And mm-hmm. that's one of those uh, songs that, you know, it's just standard for them. It's yep. just very standard. And uh, to hear it so differently in and the way that she sings it just ah oh, melts my heart. <laughs> it's pretty cool what you'll find if you search back in history. Yeah. Yeah. What's been done. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. Ernestine Anderson swings the penthouse. What a legend. Okay. We're going to talk just a little bit about what's going on around the Seattle jazz scene. Uh in addition to the regular Events. You've got Jacob Zimmerman, First Thursday at Egan's, things like that. Steve Tressler is doing something on, I think, April 1st. It's mm. a new quartet or quintet of his called this In Motion. This episode might come out after that. Yeah, but I thought I'd at least say something about it because why not? Yep. Anyway, uh, I started a secret jazz club. I don't know if I mentioned that in a previous episode or not. I didn't know about it. 
While there are two concerts in April on the 12th and the 26th, they're booked exclusively through Airbnb. Um, so it's kind of a cool thing. You can look up Secret Jazz Club Seattle and it should come up. But uh, the first one is going to be featuring on the 12th. <clears throat> that one's going to feature Alex Dugdale, tap dancer extraordinaire, sax player as well, and trumpet player, blah, blah, blah. And he the 200 trio. Ev- he plays everything. And teaches everything. Yep. Yeah. We might have a special guest on that one as well. We'll see about that. And then on the 26th, it's going to feature saxophonist Kareem Candy, Tacoma-based sax player. He plays quite a bit around the Northwest. He's kind of a staple, almost legend at this point. Um, so that'll be kind of fun. And I heard there are some pretty cool shows coming up in May, too. But I think we'll talk about those next episode. Mm-hmm. So what's going on in the dance world, John? Or what are you doing in the dance well, world? Uh, places that you can find me and uh, uh, are at uh, Alibi Room on uh, in Greenwood every Tuesday. Oh. Is that the pizza place? It is. You dance there? We we uh, rent mm. out the upstairs and uh, have a little private party for There's an us and our best friends. Whoa. That's all of you. So you can come out any nice. Tuesday. Uh, the lesson's at 7.30, 10 bucks. Uh, the dance itself is free. You can just come in and check it out if you want. Uh, pizza's great there. Love it. It is. And uh, that's every week. Uh, Then uh, the second Saturday of the month is uh, there's a dance that I also teach a lesson at, a blues lesson uh, at Salsa Contoto in Fremont. And that is uh, Facebook. You'll find it uh, called uh, Rhythm Revival. Sorry, correction. Revival Rhythm. And uh, that's an interesting dance because they offer now three rooms in which you can uh, hang out and you can swing dance in one room. You can blues dance in one room and you can do some fast dance like Balboa or Charleston in another room. And, uh, I believe they also have an amateur jam. They just started recently. So if you're scared like me to join the big dogs, because, uh, you know, those, as I keep doing my sit-ups and growing my fingernails out, I want to jump in the ring with my washboard <laughs> uh, but uh, since I'm too scared to do that I can also take that to <laughs> Revival Rhythm at uh, second Saturday of the month so uh, I'm terrible at dancing but uh, what are my uh, my odds of learning how to dance at one of these things oh you'll get it first night blues especially really? is a is a a pretty low threshold to get into um, it's a little bit okay. different than other dances in the sense that uh, there's not a specific pattern of footwork to remember so for a lot of people that's kind of a hang up a hiccup in their learning uh and we just deal with rhythms right away so maybe as a drummer you might find rhythms a little bit easier to get into some people say that (laughs) (laughs) cool all right well that's about all we have time for thanks again john for hanging out with us Thanks for having me. It's been a blast. I never knew this is what the inside of a podcast looked like. This is what the inside of a podcast looks and smells like. It's really dark. 